around the internet the last week, both in emails and on Facebook and in other media, I've gotten several jokes about baptism, especially Jesus' baptism. The first one, and my favorite actually, is this picture that shows the baby Jesus standing on water, on, his, on, his, on this uh, bath water, and, the Mary, and Mary looking at him and saying, in. <laughs> and then another really good one is of Jesus and John the Baptist out in the Jordan River. And you can tell that John the Baptist has been having trouble. When you dunk someone, sometimes they don't want to go under. Sometimes they'll flay their arms, they'll flay their legs, they'll struggle, they'll fight as you try to take them down into the water to baptize them. They don't placidly put their arms like this and hold their nose and go. Well, here you have Jesus all flaying his arms, trying to stop from being dunked. And John the Baptist stops and says, Hey, look, if you wanted to be sprinkled, you should have gone to John the Methodist. I got that one from a Roman Catholic friend of mine. She says, is that true? And I said, well, not entirely so. Nevertheless, baptism, baptism basics, baptism 101, baptism, the theology of the sacrament of holy baptism. It's a fascinating subject. It's a subject that could take dozens of sermons. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach dozens of sermons today or a sermon that's a dozen sermons long. I'm going to just discuss and look at one simple aspect. But I want to start by looking at the baptism of Jesus as it's depicted in the Gospels. Now, here in Mark's Gospel today, we have the account, and it's a, the bare-bones basic account. It says very simply, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. That's the basic content of the story of Jesus' baptism. And it is actually the only, the only New Testament reference that says, actually says, that John the baptizer baptized Jesus. Huh? Uh-huh. Take a look at it in Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he was coming up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Well, you say, well, that, that says that John the Baptist baptized him. It does and it doesn't. It says that that was certainly the intention, and it does indeed completely imply it, strongly imply that John the, baptism, John the Baptist did it, but it doesn't actually say it. Look, and when Jesus had been baptized, not by John, it doesn't say when Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist. It just says 
when Jesus had been baptized. Now, it's obvious that he did it. Setting aside Mark, it's obvious that he did it because he had come to him to be baptized. He had said, let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. Oh, no, no, I can't possibly do it. Let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. And when he had been baptized and was coming up out of the water. In other words, Mark gives us the narrative of the actual event. It says was baptized by John in the Jordan. Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. Here it simply says, when he had been baptized. Not by John, when he had been baptized. Now I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't baptized by John the Baptist. He was. But Matthew seems to be wanting to step back just a little bit from the narrative account of the baptism of Jesus by John. Let's take a look at Luke. If Matthew steps away a little bit, Matthew, Luke, excuse me, if Matthew steps away a little bit, Luke steps away a little bit more. He's a lot more brief. There is no dialogue between Jesus and John the Baptist. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, again, doesn't follow Mark exactly, leaves out that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. It, it simply implies that it was. But it's important that it doesn't exactly say it. Because in John's gospel, Jesus isn't baptized at all. Huh? No, he's not. Read it for yourself. He's not. Now, you do have the event where John the Baptist says he sees the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon Jesus and the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. That is there, but he doesn't say, When I baptized Jesus, this occurred. You have him saying, Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He points to Jesus and sends his disciples to follow Jesus. He sees Jesus coming. He makes reference to Jesus, and there are references to him baptizing people, but it never says that Jesus was baptized in the Gospel of John. Again, I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't baptized by John in the Jordan River. We have Mark for that, and it's implied strongly in Matthew and a little less strongly in Luke. But it's important to note that there was some difficulty in the New Testament church with this idea that Jesus needed to be baptized. Why? Because we normally understand baptism as being for the remission of sins, for repentance, to cleanse us, to make us whole and pure and righteous again, to cleanse us so that we can enter into the presence of God, to make us ready to enter into right worship, to make us ready to enter into a right relationship with God. And Jesus, if He is God, Jesus, if He is the Son of God, because Jesus is God, He doesn't need to be cleansed. He doesn't need to be made righteous. He is already cleansed. He is all ready, righteous. Matthew's dealing with that whole issue with John the Baptist saying, you ought to be baptizing me, not me, you. And Jesus says, to fulfill all righteousness, we're going to do this. Another way to look at that is to say, to fill this act up with righteousness, to charge it up, to empower it for righteousness. Let's do this. So what is baptism? Baptism. 
What is baptism? The classic definition of any sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace of God. That's true for all the means of grace as well as for the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. An outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Well, sometimes it's good to go to see what some of the scholars and thinkers of the church have said. And time for a shameless plug. In December of last year, the second edition of my book, Grace Upon Grace, was published. If you want a copy, you can get one from me, or you can buy it online, or you can get it at a bookstore. It's now out in wide distribution. I'm ext- it's even on Cokesbury. I was extremely pleased. And, and in it, I have a chapter on baptism. So let's see what this weirdo has to say about baptism. <laughs> baptism, this is on page 62 of Grace Upon Grace, Sacramental Theology and the Christian Life by Gregory S. Neal. (laughs) Baptism is not just a profession of our faith. Relative to the faith of the church in administering the sacrament, it certainly is an act of faith, faith that Jesus Christ is present, bestowing divine favor. Far more importantly, however, Baptism is an instrument of God's grace. It proclaims the universal love and presence of Jesus for and to all creation, as well as to the specific child of God who receives the sacrament. It is a means of grace whereby we may know that God's love is sure and ready to save and transform us. Baptism is a means of grace, an instrument for receiving God's grace, a channel through which God's grace comes to us. And regardless of your understanding of the nature of baptism, we are passive when we receive it. No one ever baptizes themselves. You are always baptized by somebody else. I was baptized by Dr. Albert Galloway at Walnut Hill Methodist Church, screaming little baby boy. I was baptized. Y'all were baptized. Every single one of you who has been baptized was baptized by another person pouring water on you, sprinkling you, or dunking you underwater. Every one of us who's been baptized has been baptized by somebody else. And that somebody else is an agent of the church, an agent of the body of Christ, an instrument of the body of Christ to perform the physical, outward, and visible function of baptism. But fundamentally, or in a great big jaw-breaking word that theologians love to use, I love to use it, Ontologically, that means fundamentally, ontologically speaking, fundamentally speaking, at its root and in its essence, baptism is done by God. God is the primary principle and actually the only real actor in baptism. We are passive in our reception. The church is the outward agent to apply it, but God is the principal actor, saying, 
I love and want you. You. It's God saying, I love you and I want you. It's God saying, I love you and want you. It's God saying, here is my love, my grace, my favor, freely given before you do anything at all. It's yours. Now, in addition to communion, baptism is probably the most divisive thing in the church. It's divided the church into many different denominations. We've even got denominations that use the word as their own identity. They're the Baptist church, our brothers and sisters in the Baptist churches. For them, that's very important, that baptism is done by believers, and it's a believer's affirmation of faith saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, and because I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm going to be baptized. Church of Christ has the same basic understanding. It is an affirmation of faith for them. Their work or act of faith, their outward work expressing their inward faith in God, in Jesus Christ. That's an ordinance understanding. Jesus told us to do it, therefore we do it, saying, yes, sir. Well, Catholics and Lutherans and Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Methodists and Eastern Orthodox and people of many different denominational stripes affirm what's known as a sacramental understanding, which is the one that I just described, that I just read a moment ago. Baptism is an instrument, a means of grace, an outward invisible sign of God's inward and spiritual grace functioning where God is the principal actor and we are simply the passive receiver. God is the quarterback and we are the passive receiver, receiving the grace God gives to us. What we then do with it is another matter. What we then do with it becomes the essence of what the Christian life is all about. Now, I got friends who love me, they, 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 they respect me, they consider me their friends, and, and yet they have a problem with me because I was baptized as a baby by sprinkling or pouring and not by immersion. I wasn't baptized as a believer by immersion. I was poured water upon as an infant. And so they thought, well, Greg really isn't baptized. One of these friends is a fellow by the name of Gary. He's the uh, a Church of Christ ordained Church of Christ minister up in Kansas City. And Gary and I, we have this wonderful relationship going back 20 years. We, we communicate regularly online. We, we d discuss things. We argue about things. We sometimes don't talk to each other for a little while because of those arguments. And then we come back together, and we have wonderful times together. And one day I went up to Kansas City to see him. It was the middle of winter. It was a colder day than today, but it wasn't raining, thank God. It was much colder than it is today. It was in the teens Fahrenheit, so it was cold. And we had gone to a bookstore there in Kansas City, a theological, used theological bookstore in Kansas City, and had spent the whole morning rummaging through dusty old books looking for 
theological tomes and studies on the scriptures and theology, and I found a fabulous book on Reformation period theology on, the, on baptism, so I was really excited. So he and I then went to have lunch at Arthur Bryant's barbecue there in Kansas City and gotten ourselves stuffed with barbecue, and now we're out in the middle of the park walking around trying to walk off a little bit of those calories as we continue our argument about baptism. We're walking along and I'm describing the fact that you know, I have deep faith in Jesus and that God's grace was sufficient for me when I was baptized as a child. And he says, yes, 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 but you, you do need to be baptized by immersion as a believer. And we stopped, ostensibly for me to tie my shoelace, which had come untied, in front of a fountain, which because it was powered, it was still running and it wasn't frozen, but it was cold. And Gary says, you know, we could solve the problem right here, right now. We can get in this fountain. I could baptize you and we get it over with. Oh, I don't believe in rebaptism. It wouldn't be rebaptism because you haven't been baptized yet. Well, it would be rebaptism to me. So I leaned down to tie up my shoelace. And I said, I believe in one Lord, one faith. And as I stand up saying one baptism, Gary reaches out and pushes me into the fountain. <laughs> And as I go backwards into the freezing water, he, I hear him say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Splash! <laughs> Gary and I are still friends. Although I think I wanted to strangle him. <laughs> May have actually done that a little bit. And I think... I thank God I can laugh about it today. Because you see, baptism is truly about God's grace, truly about God's acceptance, truly about God's calling us, empowering us, being with us at the very beginning of our existence. It's the grace of God which gets us started. It's the outward and visible sign of the grace of God that goes ahead of us enabling our way, empowering our life, shining light upon our footsteps, empowering our faith. In Wesleyan theology, we have a, a, a term for this kind of experience of God's grace. It's called prevenient. It comes from the Latin prevenire, which means to go before. It's God's prevenient or before-going grace, the grace of God which goes ahead of us preparing the way for us. Baptism is an outward and visible sign of God's inward and spiritual prevenient grace, preparing the way for our faith, making our faith possible. Jesus, when He fulfilled all righteousness by being baptized by John in the Jordan River, Jesus showed the way for us to be willing to accept and receive the grace of God before we do anything, before we begin our Christian lives, before we begin our Christian ministries together. Because baptism is a form of ordination, friends, for, for all Christians are ministers of the gospel. Before we begin our Christian lives and our Christian ministry together, we must first be willing to receive the grace of God. And it comes to us when we are in our passive moment, when we are still, when we are simply receiving. 
God's grace. Now, for our Baptist and Church of Christ friends, it's a problem that we baptized infants and then only later do they ever profess faith. But for Methodists and Catholics and Lutherans and Episcopalians and Presbyterians and Eastern Orthodox and many others, it's not a problem because we do not believe that time is a limitation for God. And just because there may be 12 years instead of 12 seconds between a baptism and an affirmation of faith, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. When I baptize an infant, when I serve as the instrument of the church, pronouncing the words and pouring water over the head of a child, I invite the congregation to return 10, 12, or however many years later and celebrate God's grace as this child confirms the grace they have received by professing their faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is brought to its fruition and its completion with confirmation, the affirmation of faith that we make publicly that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Baptism begins the process by God saying yes to us. Confirmation is where we reply, respond with yes to God. I want to be your child. Yes to God, I want to follow you. Yes to God, I want to be your disciple. Yes to God, I want a relationship with Jesus. Today we're going to reaffirm our covenant relationship. We're going to reaffirm our baptismal covenant today following the message. We're going to reaffirm it with a beautiful liturgy in the church on, that, that the church has received for reaffirming the baptismal faith. When you feel the water splash onto you, it's not a rebaptism. We don't believe in that. It's an outward reminder that you have received God's grace, God's cleansing love, the real presence of Jesus in your baptisms. So as we pray today, and as we remember our baptisms, let us give thanks and praise to God for the grace of God that each of us has received. In our baptisms, in the sacrament of communion, in all the many means of grace and the glorious presence of Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. At this time I invite you to turn in your hymnals to page 50 as we prepare ourselves for this reaffirmation Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift, offered to us without price. Through the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism, acknowledged what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. And so now on behalf of the whole church, I ask you these questions. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? I do. 
Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with, Christ, with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, na nations, and races? I do. According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? I will. Let us join together in professing the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of God's mercy each day. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Declare his works to the nations, his glory among all people. Pour out your Holy Spirit and by this gift of water call to our remembrance the grace declared to us at our baptism. For you have washed away our sins and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives that dying and rising with Christ, we may share in his final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. Okay, as we come up the aisle, we're going to spritz water on you, and we're going to say, remember your baptism and be thankful. And every time we say that, you're invited to reply, amen. Okay? Let's go. Remember your baptisms and be thankful. Amen. Remember your baptisms and be thankful. Amen. Remember your baptisms and be thankful. Remember your baptisms and be thankful. Amen. Remember your baptisms and be thankful. Amen. 
Remember your baptisms and be thankful. Amen. We miss John. <laughs> Remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen. And we missed each other. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen. I invite you to take your hymnals. The Holy Spirit work within you that having been born through water in the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us rejoice in the full faithfulness of our covenant God. We give thanks for all that God has already given us as members of the body of Christ. And in this congregation of the United Methodist Church, we will faithfully participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2015 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.